All right, well, we are in week four, week four of our uh, First Peter study. And uh, we, last week, Jeff Thompson did a great job uh, teaching us. And there's a few key points that he, he made last week that really stood out to me that I wanted to make sure we started on today. And if you weren't here last week, or if you, if you haven't missed, if you've missed a lesson before and you want to get caught up, uh, just as a reminder, we do podcast this class. Uh, it's also out on the app if you want to get out there. So if you do not know what a podcast is and or how to get onto the app, uh, Gene Carlsward right there uh, after class, he, he can make sure he gets you taken care of. That is one of the many things in Gene's responsibilities. And so uh, uh, part of what he does is make sure we get people connected to the digital content uh, here at our church. So so a few lessons that, that Jeff talked about last week whenever he went through his lessons were this. One was he talked about this idea of a cosmic reset, which really resonated with me. So there's these times in the Bible throughout the biblical history where there's been a reset, and then after that reset, God has given a command to go out and, and subdue the earth, to populate the nations, to go and to spread his image, whether that be physically uh, like we saw in creation or with the covenant with Moses and Abraham uh, or more spiritually in nature when uh, Jesus issued the great, com- the great Commission. You know, we had this kind of cosmic reset, and he said, go out, make disciples of all nations, spread my image uh, throughout the world. We also learned that we are not valuable, valuable because of who we are. We're valuable because of whose we are. We are in Christ, and that, that the fact that we are in Christ is what truly gives us uh, this value. And, and last, uh, the, the text that we covered last week ended with this verse. Verse 10 of chapter 2 of First Peter says, says this, Once you were not God's people, but now you are God's people. Once you have not, had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Just a very good rema- reminder of the context that we're in right now. We are living in the greatest of ages. We were once not God's people, but now we are. We once had not received mercy, but now we have. We're living in the greatest of times uh, where Christ has come and redeemed his people. The work has been done. When we did deserve death, we have been given life in Christ. It's just a really good reminder. And today what we're going to do is we get into this text. We've got about um, seven verses here. And these verses are going to give us some tactics on how we engage this world. Uh, we get a lot of commands today. Uh, we're going to work through all of those. There's a lot of commands, things to do, things not to do. And it would be very easy for us to, to look at those commands and make this lesson about those commands. Especially, it would be easy for us to take one of those and really dive, di- dive deep into that command and make it about that. But this, this lesson today, what, what I think God's telling us through Peter, the Holy Spirit's telling us through Peter here, is a much deeper lesson. Uh, this lesson isn't necessarily about the commands themselves, but what these commands do in terms of how we relate to God. And so I want to read the text uh, right now, and, and what I want you to be listening for as I read this text is, what does the end goal seem to be of this text? What, what is God pointing at? What is he wanting to accomplish as we start talking about these commands? Be listening for that, and then we'll pick it up after we read. So, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 11 is where we'll kick off. And it says, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the, among the Gentiles honorable, 
so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the emperor. So when you listen to that, what, just, just shout out loud if you, if you think you know, but what does the goal of this passage seem to be? What does God seem to be pointing at in this text? What's that? Good reputation comes through in there. Uh, I'll say he will, he will use a good reputation to do something. I guess to glorify God. Right? I think that's where I'm really going here is, is if you look at this, all the commands in this passage, everything you see, it's meant to give glory to God. Not just for us to give glory to God, but even others, to bring others to where they will one day glorify God. The point of this passage, all these commands we're going to talk about, is not necessarily to, to try to make us better people or not necessarily to, to try to get us to live in a certain way. We're going to get these commands, and, and they're explicit for a reason, but the end result of all of those is to glorify God. You see two objectives that are really shown here. Verse 12 that they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. And then in verse 14, you see that this is the will, of God, good, the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. So it comes to those two aspects, put to silence the ignorance of foolish people and to glorify God. And, and I, I want to focus just a second on that put to silence the ignorance of foolish people because what, what God's saying there is he goes, he goes, you are going to be dealing with a bunch of foolish people. There's going to be ignorance out there. Uh, people are going to be calling you evildoers. You're going to be going through all of this. But based on these commands that I'm giving you, if you obey what I'm asking you to do, you will silence that. You will look different from the world, and you will lead others to glorify me. That is what we're after here. Everything needs to be focused on God. How are we doing this in a way that will then bring ourselves and others to glorify God? So, uh, I want you to be careful. This passage can be used to talk about the role of Christians in government, and we're going to talk about that today. We're going to talk about the role of government as, a, as an institution ordained by God. It's important context, but it's not necessarily what this, what this is about, right? You can um, use this to talk about our conduct in a big way, but that's not what it's about. We're going to talk about how we utilize those aspects to then glorify God. If you, if you miss anything from this lesson, we want to make sure that the way we live in all of these areas God's teaching us will then glorify him. So what I wanted to do, if you look on your note page, there was probably the first thing was a couple lines of, you know, what's the end result? And that's to silence the ignorance of foolish people and to glorify God. 
Where I want to spend the majority of our time today, though, is let's dive deep into all of these specific commands that are given. Let's make sure we really understand because, like I said, we're, we're learning this lesson. We're going through First Peter to help us understand how we should live in this world. Uh, the, the, the constraints we're dealing with, the issues we're dealing with right now are very similar to the issues that the early church was dealing with back at the time that Peter wrote this letter. And so the guidance that Peter is giving the early church is very, very applicable to us today. So it gets us to the very first command we see here in this text. And it's, uh, you know, one of the uh, really, really fun ones. Uh, it says, abstain from the passions of the flesh. And, and you listen to that one. If I just kind of use that one as an example real quick. A lot of us growing up, abstaining from the passions of the flesh. I mean, we're talking about making sure, I mean, we could... In the early church, this would have been not participating in some of the sexual rituals that were occurring in the, in, the, in the culture at the time. Similar things today. This may be everything from, from you know, biblical teachings of, of making sure that we only have sex within the confines of marriage you know, would fall into this. Abstaining from the passions of the flesh is, is really making sure that we have control. And for a lot of us, especially those of us who've grown up in the church, this may seem like something that sounds like, a, like just common sense. Uh, we've heard this a lot. Uh, this, this isn't anything new. And, and I hear people a lot here in the church will come up to me, and they'll, we'll be talking about something the Bible says, and they'll go, yeah, I don't really listen to the Bible. I just listen to common sense. And normally, common sense, and I just want to dig into this real fast, common sense in our culture, especially for the majority of us in here who've grown up in, in say you've grown up in Oklahoma or you've grown up in, in somewhere in the Bible Belt, common sense is based on what? What's, common sense is going to be based on the culture in which you've grown up. The culture in which you've grown up is based on Judeo-Christian values, right? So, so whenever you think about common sense, that's not just some random thing that came into your head. You've grown up into something that was based on something originally. So for most of us, common sense is Judeo-Christian values, very, very biblical teachings. You may get something a little wrong, but what you're doing is fairly in line with Scripture because that's how our country has really been based from an ethical, moral, uh, overall educational uh, standpoint. That being said, I'll say common sense for all of us in the room is very different for common sense for people who are five years younger than me today, right? If you, if you think about, I, I'll say that, I'm, I'm actually not that old. For, for people in my age group, common sense for the median age in this room is very different than common sense for the median age in my age group uh, because common sense is based on what we've grown up and been a part of. Abstaining from the passions of the flesh is not common sense for my age group. At all. I mean, at all. It's actually almost completely contrary to common sense. This is not taught in any way, shape, or form, especially if you say the media is where we consume a whole lot of our information. This just isn't taught. So I want to make sure as we go through these commands that as you listen to them, some of you guys in here may say, this seems like common sense. But no, this was not common sense to the people at the time this letter was written. And it's not really common sense in the majority of America today either. We, we, let's make sure we understand that and grapple with that, the severity of these commands, just how countercultural they actually are. So abstain from the passions of the flesh. This is such a downer. I mean, you, you, you think about this, and I'll say, 
this is one of the hardest things for Christians to do. Uh, and because everything, especially right now, tells you you shouldn't do this. You know, you, you shouldn't do this. So my question to you, and I'm, I'm taking a big risk letting you guys have a group conversation on this one. But um, <laughs> if this is the command to abstain from lust, from physical sexual desires outside of marriage, if, if that is the command, and that's no way in line with the culture at the time that this letter was written, and it's no way in line with our culture today, why should we be obedient to it? Why do you think this is a command? Talk about that just a little bit at your tables and we'll come back. Not all at once, by the way. Every now and then I've got to give you guys a hard question. So let's not overestimate just how difficult this one is. Right? I mean, it's uh, when everything is telling you this is, not, this is not how things happen, it's hard to live in obedience to Christianity on this one. I mean, it's really, really difficult. And, but there's a reason. If you, look at, if you look at what follows this command, it says, Abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Right? Which wage war against your soul. God has a design for how we are to interact in this world, how we are to interact with him. And when we go contrary to that, we wage war against our soul. We, we go from, from having self-control to being out of control. We go from being pure to being corrupt. Uh, there, there is a complete dichotomy in this. And especially from the passions of the flesh, God has ordained those passions, some of those passions to be used for a particular purpose. And when we use them for something else, we wage war against our very soul. Just because people tell you that's not true doesn't mean it isn't true. Right? And, and, and I'll say this is one of these things where uh, many of you guys know my wife and I started dating when we were in high school. And so we were 17, and we made a commitment, just being honest with you guys, we made a commitment when we started dating that we would never have any type of sexual relations before marriage. It was a commitment we made, and you would have thought that I had been, I was completely ridiculed on a daily basis for that with my entire friend group, uh, except for one guy. But, but everyone else, uh, was, I was completely, completely ridiculed for it. And, and so you had to stand there and defend your position on a daily basis why I was taking that stance. And, 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 and it was hard. I mean, that, that's, that's just a hard thing to do. You think about that in high school. You're sitting at the, at the cafeteria table, and you know how guys talk at times, and, and you can't engage in that. And so, so it was a commitment we made. And I cannot tell you how thrilled I am that we made that commitment because when we actually got to marriage, we understood what that was. And not only was it pure for us then, but it had never been tarnished by anything else, right? And, and I'll say I'm so glad about this. Um, I never thought we'd live in Oklahoma again. I mean, we moved 12 years or so ago away from Oklahoma. We'd just come back these last few years. And, um, and so we ran into one of my wife's ex-boyfriends in our Sunday school class this week. <laughs> Now, that was fun, and I can only imagine what would have, how I would have felt at that very moment as I watched my wife hug this ex-boyfriend of hers. I can only imagine how I would have felt if, if, as kids, we had not made that commitment, not only to each other, but, but for our future spouses who we didn't even know at the time, you know, at that point in time, right, that we had made that commitment to stay pure for that. Because it just tarnishes something that is very pure that, that God has ordained for something. It would wage war against my soul. I can't imagine the war that would have been within my soul uh, last weekend had, had something been played out differently. And, and, and I'll say, what was fascinating to me is we, this, all of these commands, right, are to get us to the point where God can use our obedience, can use us to give him glory, whether it be from us or from others around. 
And the stance I took in high school and the stance I took all through college, and as people start to understand that, I'd get a lot of ridicule, but I'd also get a lot of this. When everyone would leave the room and somebody had a problem in life, who do you think they came to? Right. Whenever, whenever someone was struggling with their marriage or struggling with their relationship or trying to get, get counsel, they would wait, let everyone get out of the room, and they'd have a heart-to-heart with me. And, and so I, I, just, I know how many times God has used those situations, our obedience, for his glory. It's not about me. Right? It's not about me. Uh, I, I get some consequence of it, but it's not about me. Uh, if you watch, this is something we have to be very careful in this world, and we don't even need to go down the LGBTQ rabbit trail here right now. We can just talk about all the other stuff in this equation. But we've got to be very careful about this in our world today. I was watching the Grammys uh, a couple of nights ago, and you would have thought it was just an all-out just celebration of all things sexuality. And, and what, what we've done at times, and probably even unintentionally, is we've put sexuality at the very top of our value chain and that that, that that will make us happy. And it's actually not. We know that if we put that at the top of our value chain, that leads to exactly what we've learned in this text, a corruption of our soul. And it's not me being a prude saying that. It's not me being overly pure. To, that, that's just truth. And I think what you'll find is that if you've talked to people who have lived completely at that level they will tell you that is the truth, right? It's not something we actually have to argue about for very long. So it's a very important command which will lead other people to glorify God. The second command we see in this text, yeah, yeah. Oh, that's right. I mean, you think about that. We, we, have, all, we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. I've done it 50 times today, I'm sure. And, and you think about that, it's a very good point. We all struggle with very different things. We all have a past. We all have a future. Uh, no matter what's happened, uh, that's where, by the grace of God, we've been given the ability to repent and to follow him. And through every future action, he will then use us, right? And he'll even use your bad experiences, right? He, he will. If you turn to him, he will use every single thing you've been through for his good, right? And, and so that's a really good point. I'm glad you said that. The um, second command here is to keep your conduct amongst the Gentiles honorable, Keep your conduct amongst the Gentiles honorables. And I want you to look at the words that follow this. Uh, because when you get there in verse 12, it says, You do this so that, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. So keep your conduct honorable because somebody will speak against you as an evildoer. And when they do, may they see your good deeds. May they see your obedience so that they may see that, see that something looks different about this, and glorify God one day, right? And, and we say this, and we talk about this in here a decent amount, that it's like a crack in the culture, right? If you're honorable, if, if you obey God, you're going to start to look very different than everyone else, right? And people will see that, and they will recognize it. Uh, I, I did something this week that I never do. I, I broke a rule of mine, um, I have a rule that I do not get into debates on social media. Uh, I just don't do it. And I, I have been studying this text about keeping your conduct honorable amongst the Gentiles. And I've been thinking so much. I've been, I've been very passionate about this First Peter text about, you know, just prioritizing truth above all else and all these different things. And I saw something come across my Facebook feed, and uh, it just triggered a nerve. And so I've got a friend of mine 
who I went to high school with, who's a very, very popular political activist. And he, he's, he's worked for Cato. He's worked for a number of think tanks. He's, he's a very, very popular political activist. And so he is a fascinating guy to follow on social media because he's posting lots of things each day, stirring up all kinds of controversy. He and I share about this many positions. Uh, but, but he's a very interesting guy to engage. He's a, a brilliant guy. So he posted this article and it had this huge headline that says, Evangelicals that pray for war with Iran. And it had a picture of Pence and Pompeo behind it. And so I'm going, well, look, if Pence and Pompeo are praying outwardly for war with Iran, I want to know about this and, and figure out what in the world's going on. So I read the article, and the article has nothing to do with the headline. Absolutely nothing to do with the headline. But we live in a world, we live in a world where everyone only reads the headlines, right? And so I called him out on it. Uh, not that I'm a huge Pence and Pompeo defender or anything like that. I said, look, that's a bold statement that you just made with that headline. The article does not substantiate it. And you are putting forward a narrative that is not true. I go, in this time that we're engaging in, we should prioritize truth above our political positions. It was that simple. Oh, you would have thought. You would have thought. You would have thought that I just just threw a bomb into the Middle East and just ran. I mean, it was... I have never seen so much disdain uh, from people I have never met just attacking me. But here's what they wanted to do. And because I've followed a lot of his dialogue before, like I said, he's a fascinating guy. And it wasn't him, it was all the people who follow him. Here's what they wanted me to do they wanted me to get angry, they wanted me to get mean, they wanted me to start spouting talking points, you know, from a political agenda. That's what they wanted me to do. And I wouldn't take the bait. I wanted to keep my conduct honorable, right? Absolutely honorable. And so whenever they would sit there and engage on this, it was like, no, I'm prioritizing truth above my political party. I just, if that's a true statement, I want to know it. I want to understand it. But it's not true. And I'd feel the same way if it was on another topic. They couldn't understand that. And they started accusing me of certain things. And, and I would sit there and just engage very politely and respectfully. And I make sure that all of my posts about the church are public on purpose because I want people to see what I am, right, whenever I have to engage people. And we go back and forth. People start getting angry. And I finally get to the point where everyone's calmed down because they see I'm not going to take the bait. And then something happened that I was just so thrilled with. Some lady who was engaging, who was really, really angry, she sent me a note and she goes, I'm just angry about religion right now. And she goes, I, I, I just, I'm mad at God. I'm mad at God. I'm, I'm viscerally angry about religion. And I got to have a conversation with her. I said, look, I deal with a lot of people who are angry about religion. And normally it's not the religion they're angry about. It's somebody within the religion they're angry about. And I go, whatever experience you had, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. But it's a God who loves you. It's a God who can bring you peace in your anger right now. And if you have any questions, I'm happy to engage. And her and I ended up having a really nice conversation. And I, I quoted her a book, uh, recommended a book for her to read where she can work through those issues uh, from somebody that I trust. And so I think about that. The, 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 the command here is keep your conduct amongst the Gentiles honorable. Honorable. Be above reproach. Right? That way they can look at the good deeds and they can see he's not evil. Right? He's not evil. There's something different there. He should have taken the bait. He should have gotten angry. He should have, he should have spouted all this information back at me, and he didn't. When everybody else does, right? maybe there's a crack there that will take somebody's attention. That's why. Right? That's why we have to keep our conduct honorable. I think about a story on this that Gene told me this week. 
and and just in how God will put people in our lives, and we have no idea what God is doing from it. And people will, will a lot of times judge us based on what they've seen us do, what they've seen us say, how they've seen us act, before they'll listen to us. Right? And if your conduct has not been honorable, if it hasn't been above reproach, you may not get the opportunity to actually spread the word, to actually teach the gospel. Gene got a great opportunity that ended up just, it's a great story he needs to tell at some other time. But I think about had, had he not been engaged in what he was engaged in, uh, at the level he was, they never would have listened to the words he said when God used him in that moment. That is what we're doing. It's not about us. And it's going to mean we're going to suffer and sacrifice of it because I want it to get angry. I'm telling you, I want it to get angry on that. I want it to have plenty of opinions shared, but I wanted to keep my conduct honorable. I was very lucky I'd read this text right before I saw that Facebook post. Anyway, <laughs> third one. Uh, third one, be subject to the Lord's sake for, to every human institution. Uh, and then it, it goes on to says, you know, whether it be to the emperor supreme or to the governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. So it's saying be subject to every human institution. We're really talking about government here for the most part. There's other human institutions, but let's, for the sake of this conversation, let's talk about government for a moment. We're having a command here to be subject to the governmental institutions that we are a part of. And I don't know about you guys, but the DNA that's within me as an American rebel, right, as, as, as someone who came from someone who probably at some point in time, you know, shot a British soldier, you know, I, 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 there, there's something in me that hates this command. I, I've probably got a little bit too much libertarian in me at times of just not wanting the government to ever do anything. My dad went on strike against the government in 1981, so maybe that's where it comes from. Anyway, um, air traffic controller, just for context. It wasn't anything crazy. So, uh, yeah, so, so there's just something about me that doesn't like this command, the idea of being subject to the government. And and now, elsewhere in the world, this is very different. People don't struggle with this as much, but we actually do struggle with that uh, here in America a decent amount. And, and just to be clear, to be subject of, it's calling us to be part of, to, to respect, to make sure we're working within the confines of our government systems. Uh, this text lays out a few principles for how God uses government. And these principles are backed up in Romans and elsewhere through the Bible, uh, and you'll see that those principles are pretty much deterring bad conduct, uh, punishing those who do evil, and praising those who do good. Uh, you go to Romans 13, as I recall, uh, you're going to see a very similar dialogue there from Paul. So we see that God is saying, I've, I'm using government as an institution. I am providing power to this institution to make sure it does a few things. To help provide order here on earth, I want to make sure we deter bad conduct, we punish those who do evil, and we praise those uh, who do good. And we're called to live within the confines of this. So, that being said, I want you to think about the guys who are reading this letter right now. What emperor are they under the reign of at the moment? Nero, right? Emperor Nero uh, in the Roman Empire. And Nero here is already persecuting a little bit. Here in a couple of years, he's going to start slaughtering Christians, right? Just absolutely killing Christians. And when Paul writes this in Romans, the, the persecution, as I recall, has gotten a little bit worse, what, what he's dealing with. So, so if this is true under an emperor like Nero... Surely it could be true under whatever government America is under right now as well. For us, as, as an application for us, we need to be subject to our government. Like I said, that, that, that strikes me as difficult 
uh, at times. But, but think about this. Everyone, whenever you think about this, you always think about the extremes. And, and a lot of times I've seen government officials use this as a way to coerce citizens into doing things that they shouldn't be doing. Uh, so can anyone think of examples in the Bible where people in the Bible have been obedient to God and have actually practiced civil disobedience, have actually gone against commands of the government? Can anyone think about examples in the Bible? Daniel. Daniel did it a few times, right? Um, you know, being told, he and his friends being told what he can eat uh, goes against a command from God, and he refuses to do it, and God uses it. Um, also bowing down to the image. Yes, three friends. We see the same thing. Yep. Yep. The uh, Hebrew women would not practice infanticide, right? Exactly right. What you'll, what you'll find, what you'll find is there's only a principle that people disobey government whenever it directly contradicts with a command of God, especially whenever they're being very blatant about it, saying you cannot speak the gospel, you cannot speak God's word. We see this in the New Testament as well with uh, Peter and the apostles when they're told, you can't be teaching that right here. And they're saying, look, we've been told we have to do this. You judge if that's right or wrong, but we we don't really have an option here. Uh, We're going to teach God's word. So when it has a contradiction to a command from God, God reigns supreme. That being said, what we're, the, the, the message here in this text is we need to be subject to the institutions of government because the end goal here is to glorify God. And you'll see other contexts in the Bible where as long as you're doing good, normally people don't punish you. It's normally people who are doing bad who get punished. And so what you're really seeing as a warning here is, is how to engage as just a norm in society. Because you had a lot of Christians at the time of this who were coming to faith and understanding this thing called Christ, and they're asking questions like, well, do I still have to pay my taxes? I mean, Caesar's not my Lord anymore. Do I have to pay the taxes? Uh, which, which we all would say, you know, you don't think we should pay taxes. Uh, but... Yeah, yes, you need to pay your taxes. Give to Caesar what is Caesar's. Give to God what is God's. You know, do, do I actually have to uh, continue in this marriage that I'm in whenever this person's not a Christian, you know, after you come to faith? There's all these ideas, and, and God is saying, look, 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 I'm not asking you to go be a revolutionary. I'm asking you to go work with them. Be subject to the culture that you're in right now. Be within it. Permeate the culture and be obedient to me and watch what I do through that faithfulness. God used a guy named Joseph who got, you know, enslaved, um, sent to Egypt, thrown in prison, and everywhere, God, wherever, everywhere he was, God blessed him and blessed his efforts. We see plenty of slaves in the Bible or prisoners in the Bible come to positions of absolute power because they've been faithful to God and then God uses it. He doesn't have to change the entire government institution to do it. God's more powerful than that. You know, and sometimes I think what we'll do is we'll try to look and use power from our own right hand to make every change, where he's saying, no, I'm asking you to be subject to the institutions that are already here. Go be a good, faithful Christian and watch what I do through it, right? Versus us trying to put all the power uh, in our own, in our own um, hands. The obvious question that you all should be asking yourself right now is, was the American Revolution biblical or not? And I'll let you think about that this week, and we can come back and talk about it next week. Um, last command we see here is to live as people who are free. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom to cover up for evil. And I want you to think about this real quick, to live as a people who are free. 
And a lot of times we'll think about that uh, as to live who is free. And you may have like ideas of easy rider, right? You know, guys going on a motorcycle completely free from all social constraints. But, but this context is very different. And as I call, just for reference, after I watched Easy Rider the first time, I called it Easy Rider dot 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 until they all die. You know, it, it's just a fascinating movie. Anyway, that's an aside. But to live as people who are free... You know, we need to think about that a little bit differently. What, 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 what Peter is teaching here is because you are faithful to God, because you're faithful to the commands of God, you now have the freedom to just go and live your life. You don't have to be constrained by this idea that you have to do it all on your own. You don't need to go be the radical. You don't need to go start the revolution. Because if you do, you're, you're assuming that the power is with you and not with God. Live free within the commands of God. Because we've talked about this before. You're either a slave to Christ or you're a slave to sin. It's one or the other. He's saying, be free within your slavery to Christ. And you can trust that he will handle what he wants for his will, for his glory. Be free within that, that concept. If we take the opposite view, what we'll normally find is we're trying to glorify ourselves and not God. Uh, Whenever you think you have to be the one to do it, we're we're normally trying to seek glory for ourselves. I know I have fallen prey to that concept many, many times. This whole lesson here, whenever I read these commands, it's a mindset change for me. That it's not about me, it's about God. It's not about how I have to interact, it's about how God will use my interactions to bring him glory. It's how God will use my obedience to silence the ignorance of fools so that others may see what it looks like to follow Christ and then be led uh, to him. It's a, it's a mindset change we've got, we've got to be used to. And I want you to look at how Peter finishes this text. There in verse 17, Peter says this. He says, honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, and honor the emperor. Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. And I want to reorder this just a little bit, because I think it'll read differently if you reorder, reorder this. What if this said, honor everyone and the emperor, love the brotherhood, fear God? Honor everyone and the emperor. Putting everyone and the emperor right there on the same plane. Same exact words. Show your respect to everyone and the emperor. Be subject to the culture that you're... Be subject to the institutions that you're in. Honor everyone. Show that respect as it's due to those who you ought to show respect to. Honor them. But love the brotherhood. Love the brotherhood. Show your affection to your brotherhood, the allegiance to the church. Make that the center of your affection, not your government, not the emperor. Honor them, but you need to love the brotherhood, love the church. And then lastly, fear God. Fear God. And I want to be careful not to underplay that word fear. Uh, Because it would be very easy for me to go up here and say that actually doesn't mean fear. But it does to a certain extent. Fear God. Show absolute respect and reverence to God. A respect and reverence that is all, all inspiring in your reverence to God in such a way that it leads you to obedience. Right? That's the type of, that's when they say the word, it's a fear that will lead to obedience because you put God at that level of reverence in your, in your view. And I just want you to think about this for yourself as an application as you go home today is when you hear those final commands, honor the emperor, love the brotherhood, fear God, 
do we always have that order right in our, he- in our heads? Uh, do we sometimes fear the emperor, fear the government, honor God? Right? Or, or, or do we just show some affection to God, uh, but, but we fear the brotherhood. We fear those around us, and we're honoring the emperor. Like, I want you to think about what level you're putting each of those at. Are we showing our affection to the right place? Are we putting our respect to the right place? And are we showing the awe and the reverence that leads to obedience to God? This entire lesson is about how you live your life so that it will glorify God. Psalm 27 says this, Some trust in chariots and horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. We trust in the name of our Lord our God. Everything that we just taught today, I I don't want to take for granted how countercultural it is. Even that last last sentence, how countercultural it is. We can either trust in our own versions of our chariots and horses, trust in our own intellect, trust in our own power, trust in the ways of the culture, or we can trust in the Lord our God. Follow his commands in the way he says and see how he uses that faithfulness uh, in the world this week. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you again uh, for this group. Thank you for the word. And I just thank you so much that the guidance that you gave so long ago still applies to us today. Thank you that we were able to learn from it and just help us trust your ways. Uh, it's so easy to fall back on what we're used to, to fall back on what maybe people around us may be doing. Uh, but you've told us that there's a better way. There's a way that, that leads to glory for you. And in that glory with you, we experience joy, a joy that's hard to describe, hard to explain. But as we live it, we understand it. As we understand it, we trust it more and more. And as I, I ask that you would help each man in here trust you, just trust in you today, trust in you this week. May you do an incredible, incredible work through their faith, through their obedience. In Jesus' name, amen.